We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. It's humanity. And so that enemy desires to deceive. His whole purpose is to deceive, to distract, to destroy humanity through deception. So deception. Leading people away from God's truth and leading people away from God's purposes. So every purpose and function that God established and set in place for humanity in his word is good for humans. Everyone. Every one of them is good for humans. God gave us his word. He's a loving God. That's his character. He's good. He's generous. He's just. It's who he is. And because he is God, he also gave us a book with how to live our lives so that we can walk in the blessing of God. I mean, what a loving thing to do. And so everything about God's word is good for us. And so he set these things in place. But all of those things, Satan has strategically been setting out to undo those things. So one of his major strategies is he creates a counterfeit word of God. Or he creates, better said, another law, a counterfeit law for humanity to live by that is contrary to God's law. So if all of God's word is good for us, and it is, because he's for us, not against us. He loves us. He's gracious to us. If that is true, then Satan's strategy is to undo what God's word says. And so when we receive God's word, when we receive the gospel, when we receive God's truth, and when we apply it to our lives, God through his word brings forth the greatest life for us that we can have on this earth. But this is a God that we serve who in the garden he created Madam and Eve, and he gave them a choice. He gave them a will. He also laid out for them a couple laws. Hey, eat from here, don't eat from there. Also, you're a steward. Also take dominion over. Also take care of this place. And so Satan came to Adam and Eve and had them question God's law. Did God really say you can't eat of this tree? And then Satan played it a little further and said, well, it's because when you eat of it, you will be like God. So what Satan was doing is tempting the first human beings to actually elevate their opinion and their thoughts above God's, thus becoming their own God. And this plunged humanity into sin. Well, that strategy hasn't changed. Like, Satan just rolls out the same playbook over and over and over again. And it's to get us to doubt that what God says in his word is actually good for us. What he does, he tells us things like this. Oh, that was just for then in the Old Testament. It's not for us today. Or he says this, oh, actually... That word that's been translated in the Greek actually doesn't mean what scholars over 
hundreds of years have said, no, that's exactly what it means. And so his purpose is to deceive us. Because he doesn't want us to reap the blessing of God in our lives. So when the, when the word of God is applied in our homes and we, we get married and we have a Christian wedding, meaning that in the Christian wedding, there's, we talk about Christ being the center of the home. We talk about being submitted to Christ in our home. What that means also for the husband or the wife is that we understand, so we go to Ephesians 5 and we go to the other passages and we go, okay, what does it mean to be a Christian wife? What does it mean to be a Christian husband? And we read it and we go, okay. And we go, okay, Lord, help me to do that. What I say at every wedding is after I, I, read, I read through this that, hey, you know, that the, the husband is to, is, is to be the head of the wife. Christ is the head of him. And, you know, all, I go through all of that. And then I, I use this word that makes everyone uncomfortable. And wives, it says that you're to submit to your husbands. They're like, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> the weddings that I do, they don't act that way, I promise you. I'm just joking. Because they want Christ. So, but, but then you go, okay, why is it that we struggle with, let's say, that's just one truth, right? Why is it that we go, oh, I don't, no, that's not what, it, that's not the way things are today. So then you go, actually, according to scripture, this is the model and role that God set up for the Christian family. And it's the greatest blessing to submit under Christ and under God together. And then later, the scripture says, husbands and wife, you're to submit to one another. And they're like, oh, we like that one. That one's good. Okay, we'll do that one. But there's this understanding of a Christian home. And then it's like, okay, also Christian home that, hey, um, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. We go, no, I like that one. Then it says, the Proverbs say, don't spare the rod in disciplining of your children. Well, that's not for today. You can't do that today. But actually, all of the word is true. And so what Satan does is he slowly allows us to drift from living our lives as believers under the truth of who God is. Because he doesn't want you blessed. He doesn't want your, you to prosper. He doesn't want your children to grow up with, a, with Christ centered in their home. He doesn't want them to have a good, uh, a good model for when they get married. Because he wants to destroy everything that is a blessing to you and all of society. And that's just one aspect. I could go on for hours. And I won't. I promise. Some of you are like, sometimes he does. Okay, maybe. Okay, all right. That's fine. But, but even, even I want you to think about this, and I want to come back to God's word. Even in a society where there is recognition of God's, that God exists, or I'll say it this way, even in a society where the laws of that society are aligned with biblical truth, not all of them, but if some of them are, when those laws are actually enforced through the different areas of ministry of government, like whatever, the justice. When, the, when there are laws that are aligned with God's word, it actually is a blessing to society and people prosper. Even if someone doesn't believe in God, when the truth of God or a principle about God from his word is applied to humanity, then society prospers. You can see it time and time and time again. 
So it's, it's kind of like this um, Christian business owners. We have many Christian business owners here who strive to lead their business according to biblical principles. They strive to. It's what they understand. There are businessmen, whether it's not owners or not, businessmen and women who strive to do this. And what happens is secular, excuse me, I'll say this, people who don't know God look at that and go, how? That's working. How is that working? You're actually respectful. You actually care for your employees. You actually um, are generous to them. You actually care about them as not a worker, but a being and a person. You, you, you uphold integrity and transparency. And how do you get this sense of teamwork? And, and, and they go, oh, there are biblical principles applied. A person who doesn't know God can take those principles and apply them to their business or department. And they'll begin to see that culture shift and become a blessing to humanity. It's just how it works. And so Satan is not just after Christians, he's after destroying all of humanity. And so we need to be aware of that. And so the apostle Paul has given us some strategies on how to stand. He invites us, he says, listen, this is the real deal. Now I'm gonna give you some tools and understanding how you can be engaged in spiritual warfare and not be not, be not equipped, but equipped. So again, there's no neutral ground on this earth. The apostle Paul here is equipping the church in Ephesus with the knowledge that he had from his own life. But the most important thing before I get into these points is that you remember that Jesus has defeated the devil. You must understand that. Earlier, Paul writes this in Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as, same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked not only in the present age, but also in one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church. So the devil has been defeated, okay? We are the cleanup crew, okay? We are to walk in our authority now, taking dominion on what already belongs to Christ as God's representatives, his ambassadors, to take what the enemy is still wreaking havoc. He's been defeated. His final, his, the, the final consequence of that defeat has not been totally seen yet, but his power now is, is subject to us and the spirit in which lives within us. So Paul is saying, all authority and the powers and the devil have been broken. Their final judgment is coming. So Paul doesn't tell us to win the battle. He tells us to stand and have confidence and what's already been won. So important. But yet God still has a very significant role for believers. Paul understood all of this. He's equipping the church and he's equipping us today 
And so Ephesians chapter 6, I'll read it again, then we'll get into it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, so because of that, put on the full armor of God so that when, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak words, excuse me, whenever I speak words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So Paul is using this illustration to help them understand that when you become a Christian, one, you're not left vulnerable, you're not left naked, you're not left alone, that you actually have been given armor. And then he says, you should put it on. So anytime there is a promise from God, there is, a, there is a, um, an action of faith by us. So we can have salvation, but there is an act of faith that we would put our faith in that salvation. So we can, we, we can walk in God's um, financial blessing, but there's an act of faith that we would, we would give unto God as a tithe and then reap from that. So at every promise, there is an action of faith. So Paul is telling them, you've been provided an armor to stand and to defeat the enemy in this spiritual warfare. But you need to put it on. In other words, you need to apply it, you need to rehearse it, you need to understand it, and to, you need to do it. You need to put it on. So, here we are, putting on your armor, number one, the belt of truth. The belt of truth. So, again, I, I want to go back to this real quick. Paul is also giving them this, there's this idea of armor, but it's the armor is also speaking to their identity. But it's also speaking to their purpose and function. So their identity, so belt of truth. This is, this is part of their identity. Ephesians 1.13 says, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. So belt of truth. Oh, so I, I need to understand I've been included in Christ when I put my faith in him. Yes, that's your identity. The gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit. So there was a guarantee that was put inside of you when you put your faith in him. So now that's your identity. That's where you're working from. You're not working to that place. You're working from that place. So truth, this idea, is vital in spiritual warfare. That's why we see such the small, nuanced, confusing redefining of truth today. That's exactly why we see it. Because the devil knows it's vital it's vital in spiritual warfare. Because what you believe, you become. What you believe to be true, you will act as though that's true. 
But I thank God that he's such a gracious God that in a world of confusion, in a world of our own emotions, in a world of, of, of feelings, have, have you ever thought, if you're married today, have you ever thought your spouse meant something, but they really didn't mean it when they said it? Did that happen this morning on the way to church at all? Did anyone? <laughs> this couple who's one on each end is like, yep, it happened here. No, I'm just kidding. The, have, you ever, have you ever said something to someone you loved and they thought you were like, excuse me? Why'd you say it that way? You're like, I didn't, I didn't know I said it that way. Well, that's the same thing that happens with truth. And God in his grace has given us his, his word. Then we go, you know what? I just, I just feel like this is true. And then we go, well, let's check it with the Bible. So we go to the Bible as submitted Christians and we go, nope, that's just a feeling. That's not true because the Bible says this. We can move forward in confidence on what is truth and what is a lie. But we need to understand there was a, a devil at work to distort the truth and to get you to believe it and all of humanity to believe it so they start acting like it's true. Thus, stepping out of the blessing of God that comes when we're aligned with his truth. Truth is vital. And Paul brings them to the foundation of truth. And it's the belt of truth. belt of truth. And the belt of truth, this is one that's revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this says you can put on the belt of truth. Meaning as a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, we are, we, we are to one, care about truth. We should care about it. It's foundational. If, if, if you think truth is just optional or truth is, you know, well, it's your truth, my truth. If that's how you come at things, you are vulnerable to the work of the devil in your life. I'll use this example. Back in our uh, education system, when they started teaching evolution, there was this idea that we've evolved and you know, one species can become another species, and then you can evolve from that um, sex into another sex, and then another species, even though there's no proof of any of that. It was taught. And it was taught as truth. And so what the, what the church thought we, they do is that, you know, it could be, you know, it might be, you know, maybe, maybe God cre initiated creation through evolution, and, you know, who are we? And so... I've heard what I'm about to tell you in a sermon from a Bible-believing church. And it was a series on the Apostles' Creed, and this is what was said. You know, the Apostles' Creed is that, you know, uh, that God the Father, what matters in whether you believe in creation on, in six days or evolution, that really doesn't matter. What really matters is that we have a creator, and he's our Father. Now, on the service, you go, that's right. You know what? That's true. That's true. Until a generation of Christians sit in churches and now think, well, I mean, if evolution is true and what really matters is I have a creator, then I can, it's okay for people to evolve from one sex to another sex. 
It's okay for people to evolve from one species to a cat. And Christians don't know how to combat, combat this. They're like, well, I don't, uh, I mean, we have a father, we have a creator. That's what I know and that matters. But, but when you go back to the foundation of truth, no, no. We have a, a God who created man and woman in marriage, right? And then we have Jesus who affirms it when asked about marriage. He goes, man, woman, creation. So this is why this is so important. And this is why you look around today, you're like, how come churches are like all they're squirrely? Well, because churches have been trying to accommodate what, what the devil has been doing in our world and to somehow get what the devil's doing to fit in the Bible. And that's why we're at the place we are now. We need to come back to the foundation of God's word, God's truth. So we put on the belt of truth. Paul also says this in Ephesians 5, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are in light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good, right, and true. Okay? So don't, don't let someone say, well, no, you're just, you know, you... <laughs> You need re-education. From what? Well, I have a group of people who don't believe in the Bible who want to re-educate you. Um, I'm pretty sure the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So, I'm good. It's the belt of truth. That's how we stand. That's why we see our families being decimated by these lies. That's why we see it. And it's the, it's, uh, it's the church's fault. It is. Because we compromised on one area to accommodate. But here's the deal. When you accommodate deceptions of Satan, it's never enough. And it opens the door for him to take more ground. So we are to use the belt of truth. Don't apologize for it. You snap that thing on and you say, praise God. At least, I've, at least I'm not confused. I have a very clear look at what is actually true. But this is about from our, also our, ident our identity. We live in God's truth. We speak his truth. Because it is true and because the Bible says that when you become a follower of Jesus, you're transformed and now you are to, you're to live, your, live your lives by a way that's the fruit of the spirit. Loving, kind, gentle, peaceful, full of joy. So not only do we stand on truth, we also exude the characteristics of the one who saved us, which is Jesus. So we are an example of the characteristics of our victorious king. But we also rehearse our identity, I'm saved. We live from that identity. 
And we allow that identity to determine our actions, our life, our choices. But when we don't live from our identity as the church, we become vulnerable in this spiritual warfare. And so Paul lays out really where our truth lies. The anchor foundational Ephesians 4.21. The truth is in Jesus. The truth is in Jesus. Coming to Jesus, believing in Jesus, being submitted to Jesus, being submitted to the word, resting in Jesus. This is how we put on the belt of truth. And it's how we partner with what's already been provided for us, but we need to put it on what Jesus has provided. Number two, breastplate of righteousness. Paul is giving this illustration with the knowledge that actually God has given us his breastplate of righteousness. God's given us what he has. That's why I love the gospel. Like, like Jesus became everything that we were so that we can become everything that he is. He gave us everything. And this is, Paul understands this. Isaiah 59, 17 says he, meaning God, put on righteousness as his breastplate. And he gives it to us. Again, this is about us putting on virtues and characteristics of Jesus. Now this, this put on the breastplate of righteousness is not about imputed righteousness that was given to you because of your faith. You have been made righteous by Christ, not by your works, okay? This is about practical things. This is about, um, th this is about us living and striving to be righteous, to be conformed to the image of Christ putting on the righteousness qualities associated with your new life in Christ. Look to him, let him determine your actions. It's about living from that righteousness. So Paul says in spiritual battle, you need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Don't give an inch to Satan in the areas of your life of impurity or greed or lust or drunkenness. Put on the identity and live from what that new identity says. So as you're tempted, as you're tempted, you don't, you don't go to your feelings and say, but I want to do this. You go to your identity and say, hang on, I am a child of God. I've been saved by him. I am a new creation. That is shadows of my old life. And so right now I'm going to walk in my new identity. I'm going to be righteous and pure because Jesus was righteous and pure. Jesus, will you help me? Number three, you put on gospel shoes. Verse 15, as shoes from your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. As you know, shoes are really important. When I'm on a beach, I don't need them. When I'm here in the wintertime, I want some shoes. I didn't realize how important shoes were until my kids started playing sports. And I'm like, you can't, you're telling me you can't use the same pair of shoes for all those sports? Because they're all designed for a particular function. And Paul is telling us as believers, we should always have our shoes, our feet, shod with the gospel of peace. In other words, it's something everywhere we go, we need to understand that we are carrying the gospel. We should always be ready to share the gospel. Paul calls it the gospel of peace. 
Now, where people get confused is they think that if there's some kind of pushback or conflict because of the sharing of the truth of the gospel, that all have fallen short with the glory of God and he loves you, he's provided salvation for you. And if you'll repent and give your life to, to, to them, if they go, what? what do you mean repent? I'm good. And there's conflict and all of a sudden it brings division with family members or friends or coworkers. And you're like, oh, that must not be the gospel of peace because the outcome didn't seem very peaceful. And that's where people get confused. So Paul's life was a life of conflict. It was a life of pushback. It was a life of false accusations. He argued in front of leaders, courtrooms, Roman leaders, Jewish leaders, pagan leaders. So the gospel of peace is not about the response when you share it. What the gospel of peace means, it's through that only message that humanity can finally find peace for their broken, weary souls. That's what it means. Also, later Paul writes in Corinthians that when you share the gospel and even just the, the, the flow of your life, for some, it's like a sweet fragrance of life. But to others, it's a fragrance of death. Because they reject it. So Roman soldiers at the time, which is our illustration here, were issued shoes. See them in movies. It's historically pretty accurate where they were, they were higher boots, but they, had, they, had, they were studded on the bottom, but, it, but they were also very flexible. And it was for, so they could travel large distances in a quick amount of time. And they did it. They could cover... They could cover Hundreds of miles as a, as a battalion if within, within a couple of weeks. It's, it's actually remarkable. But they, they did it pursuing the enemy. Little villages, big cities, every nook, every cranny. They went to hard places. And what Paul is saying, listen, we need to go to every nook and every cranny and every, every city. We need to take and share the gospel. We need to tell people that there is hope to faraway places, to our family members, to our neighbors, to our communities, to those who are deceived by the enemy, and to hard places. The hard places are the places that you know there's conflict there. You know that they have been deceived by the devil, and they'll, they'll, you know, they'll send you the same book that everyone sends, sends me about why, why this is actually not a sin and, and, and it's okay now because of this. They'll send you the same articles from people who call themselves Christians. And you'll be confused and you'll go, oh, maybe that's true and maybe this doesn't matter. But then you go, hang on a second, hang on, hang on. I'm going to go back to the belt of truth, go to the word, and then I'll, then I'll come back to you and say, hang on a second. You've been deceived. And you take the gospel to them. So I want you to notice Paul tells us to put on the whole armor. Each Christian put on the whole armor. So not just one 
person, hey, can you snap that belt of truth on? I'll wear the breastplate of righteousness. And hey, you, you, hey, you don't mind telling other people, just you wear the boots. That's not what he says. What he's saying is we're to walk in the whole character of God. We're to walk in the whole character of being a Christian because we are in a spiritual warfare. And you are an ambassador of Christ, yes, but you are also a soldier of Christ. One of the reasons I believe that humanity and the lies that people are being drug away into destruction is because the church over the years has been too timid to say this is truth. What if they, what if they take her 501c3 and what if they do this and what, like what, like what, what? Listen. God called us to go and do difficult things because we're, we carry the hope of the world. We do. When Jesus was talking about his ministry, he says, I have come to bring division. You should go and read it in Luke 12. Between mother and father and brother and sister and what was he? What? I thought Jesus came to bring, like, to just kumbaya, everybody. No, he brought, he brought the only peace that's available to us as humans. And what he's saying is that in, in, in a family, when the gospel comes, some believe it and become close and one and part of God's family. Some reject it and they reject them. We're going to have to go to hard places. And we're going to have to just understand, this is what Christianity actually has always been about. We've just lost our way. This Christianity and warfare that Paul is talking about was not a, was not a Christianity that spiritual battle was confined to the gathering in the church. This is a Christianity that doesn't run from the big bad world. It's a Christianity that runs to those who are in the world, who are hurting, who are dying, who are going to hell, who are deceived. They are enslaved in sin. And I want you to understand this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is, is the hope for this world. It's, it's not a program, it's not a, it's not a hug, it's not a high five, though that's okay to do those things. The answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The answer is repent and give your life to Jesus. That's the answer. He's got a plan for you, he's got a hope for you. You're being deceived by the enemy. This is the gospel. And Paul understood that the gospel of peace was not always peaceful. Now, this is not a call for some Christian war. Or, this is not what we do. Again, we have the characteristics of Jesus. We have the fruit of the Spirit. And we have the truth of the gospel. And we have the boldness of the Holy Spirit. 
and we take it. It brings hope to those who are receiving it. Now, those who are deceived by Satan and reject the gospel, they will hate you. It will cause division, conflict. You will be called hateful. The Bible will be called hate speech. But those whose feet are shod with the gospel of peace, this is what God says to you. He says this out of Isaiah 52, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, and who proclaim salvation. Your feet are beautiful. Jesus came, he was ultimately with the one with the most beautiful feet of all times. And he gave us peace and he gave us forgiveness to the Jews, to the Gentiles, and those who know Christ now have his peace and now we have the same mission as he did. We are not like some religious movement or mission That's not who we are. We're not controlling lives. We're not taking lives. We're offering eternal life. And we are willing to even lay down our lives because Christ laid down his life for us. And we know that if that happens, he will raise us up. That's what we know. So put on the gospel the gospel of peace as your shoes. Number four, the shield of faith. Again, speaking of what God has given us from himself, he is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Psalm 28, seven, the Lord is my strength and my shield. This is about us believing the promises of God, rehearsing the promises of God, by faith, acting on the promises of God, believing what he says about us, believing what he says about himself. Believing that his, the promises in his word, which are true and truth and our belt that we have on by faith, as we come under the word of God in submission to it, even when we don't understand it, we now are protected in this battle, in this warfare. We have a shield of faith. And this is about submission to the word. Number five, helmet of salvation. In Thessalonians, Paul calls it a helmet of the hope of salvation. And when you, when we engage in spiritual warfare, you're to put on the hope that you have in Christ. Be assured of God's faithfulness. Be assured of God's salvation, that you are secure in his kingdom, that there is no doubt that you currently, because God, see, the Bible says that we are seated with, with him in, in heavenly places. You go, actually, I'm right here. This doesn't seem too heavenly. But what, what, what that statement is, is this reality. We serve a God who's the alpha and the omega. So he's the beginning from the end. And we see time linear like this. And so we're like, yeah, but I'm here. But I'm not in heavenly places. But God sees time like this. We want to squish it together and flip it this way. He sees it all at the same time. And so what he's done in your life through your faith and by his grace is you're already there with him. In other words, that's not changing. That's not going anywhere. And be assured of that. Be assured that you are secure. Be assured 
that your salvation is secure. Reject the devil's lies. Don't allow Satan to tell you that you have to work for your salvation or, or somehow your salvation didn't take, just didn't take. Just somehow didn't, oh, it kind of slid off of you. But you rehearse what you've been saved from. Rehearse that, God, thank you, I'm no longer under the penalty of sin. I've been saved from sin's power. I will one day be saved from sin's presence. You rehearse, I'm alive in Christ. I, I am reconciled to Jesus. I am forgiven. I will be raised with Christ and seated with him. In other words, put the helmet on your head and don't let the devil get in your head. Rehearse it. Again, this is about Satan attacking your identity. And this is about Paul affirming. No, no, hang on, hang on. You, you, you secure your mind and your thoughts with what Jesus has done. Number six, the sword of the spirit. So we are to pick up the sword of the Spirit. This is an, it's an offensive weapon. This is about engagement with the enemy. This is about understanding your mission and your authority. This is about recognizing you're not a victim, but you are victorious against all things of the devil. And when you put all these things on, when you align yourself with the belt of truth, when you have the breastplate of righteousness, when you, when, when you have all these things on, you are secure. Now you're making decisions based off of God's word and you are to engage the enemy. And Paul connects the, the sword of the spirit with the word of God. So we're to use the word of God to destroy the works of the devil. Listen, friends, the proclamation of truth is powerful. It's powerful. You should never allow a thought to float around in your head that is contrary to the word of God. You just say, uh-uh, I'm not having it. I'm not having it. It could even be the thought of a temptation that you think, you know what, that's what would meet my needs. Nope, no, no. The Bible calls that sin. I'm not doing that. And when you do stumble, when you do fall, you, you, you repent, say, Lord, please cleanse me. And when I say cleanse me and repent, it doesn't mean you lose your salvation. Okay, this is what he's addressing here. It's not like you're like, you're in the kingdom of God and you're out of the kingdom of God. You're in the kingdom of God. And, and God's like, what are you, wait, where are you, what? I would say, hey, hey, come back here. This is not what's going on. This is, you are in his kingdom. You're being transformed into his image and you do fail and you will sin. But the heart of a Christian who is walking in the armor of God comes to the repentance and submission to Christ and says, Lord, oh, cleanse me. Lord, heal me. What did that reveal inside of me? Lord, I'm still following you. Will you forgive me? And Lord, I, want, I don't ever want that in my life again. So Lord, help me to keep on this journey. This is what, what he's talking about. Rehearse your identity. That's not who you are. That's not who you are. And so this is a very practical sword. Most people think it's this huge sword. We think of like Braveheart or something and it's like this, this sword, you're like, I would use it if I could pick it up, but I can't. That's, that's not this, this, the Roman sword is a very practical, practical weapon. And it was used to be used quickly, to respond quickly 
with the combination of the shield, it was that blows could be ha could happen several times before the enemy would even recognize it or, or or realize it was happening. And so many times we think of the sword, we think of this big sword, and we're like, oh, that's that's kind of useless for life. And so, but this is the word. And the, currently the enemy is trying to to convince people that the Word of God is useless for life. Trying to convince people that to reinterpret the Bible or to decide that the, the whole counsel of Scripture is actually not relevant anymore. Or we can pick and choose and we highlight with the yellow highlighter and we, ones we don't like, we highlight with the Sharpie, the, the black Sharpie and like, that's what he's doing. And then those that he's deceived tries to shame and condemn those who believe the whole counsel of God's word. But again, all this goes back to the garden. He raised the suspicion about what God said. Hmm, are you sure it's true? And then he played on their humanity. You could actually be your own God. And Satan knows without God's word, you will be vulnerable in this spiritual battle. So friends, get to know the word. Husbands, read the word to your children. Moms, read the word to your children. Your single family home, whoever that is, read the word. Make it Make it a part of your life. Affirm the word. Speak to the word. Refer to the word. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Pray it. Proclaim it. And I want you, last thing, I want you to notice that Paul did not mention any piece of armor that is for your back. Didn't mention it. And I think this is a great picture of what God is asking the church to do. Go forward. Don't run and hide. Don't, don't, don't just say, hey, I'll just hide over here in the corner and maybe they won't see me. No, no, this is, this is, this is Paul saying, uh-uh. Now you are called on mission and have a purpose. And this, this is how you stay fresh and not vulnerable and quick and respond in the spiritual battle. This is how you, you, you fight over your own life. This is how you fight over your family. This is how you fight over your, your, your community. This is how you fight at work. This is, you were in a battle and you need to know something. We are to occupy until Jesus returns. Occupy. Occupy. So this idea that somehow, hey, things are going to just get bad. So we might as well just, oh, hey, you know, I'm out. And maybe we just let it get bad. Jesus will come back quicker. Listen, that is, that's, that's baloney. And that is not what Jesus says in, a, in our work. That's not the model. That's not what, who Paul was. He didn't think this gospel is, is just, just for him to, to just, you know, kind of give it a little bit. No, no. He was taking back that which the enemy had stolen on the earth. Now that Jesus had all authority and all power, Paul's like, I will go and enforce that. And Jesus is like, yeah, it's going to be a blast. It's going to be tough, but get after it. And Paul understood that. 
He understood that this is not some world that we're living in and we're just, we're just living for heaven. No, we are not. We're living to occupy what God has given us as stewards to do so. And the church has fallen asleep. And we've allowed the laws of God to be just chased out of everywhere. And now we just reduced our expression of our love of God to the church and, and in our family. That is why we are where we are. No one on earth has authority like a Christian does. No one. And so we're to occupy and we are, that gives us hope for your children, hope for your grandchildren, gives hope for the church in a thousand years. And in 2,000 years, we have, we have fallen into a weird mindset where somehow we, we're, just, we're just our generation, right? Oh, we just, if, I can just, if I can just get through this thing without being too offended and I can die and go to heaven, that's all. I'm, I'm, I want to go to heaven. And Jesus is like, I saved you to occupy earth. I love this, the, the, this idea, the story of the, the founders of Guinness Guinness beer, sorry, I just, I'm just saying, <laughs> they're, they're very strong believers. And when they, when they took out a lease for property that they began back in Ireland, they took out a lease for 9,000 years. They had a different mindset. This was for the giving of missions for the next 9,000 years. They, they've given millions and millions of dollars to world missions. But they saw their life differently, and we should too. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. If you don't have your communion cup, you can grab it. We have some up front here. Hopefully many of you grabbed it when you came in. And we're going to take communion together, the Lord's Supper, the gathering of believers, I would suggest taking the bottom off first. I dropped mine earlier in, the, in our volunteer service before the service, and I said, because it's communion, it's the 22nd rule, okay? So it gets extended, it's, it's holy. Friends, in your hand, we hold a, a cracker that represents the body of Jesus. He was pierced for us. He was, he endured stripes on his back and it was for our healing. It was for our healing. Mentally, emotionally, healing from our sin. And this represents what he's done for us. And Jesus wants you to take this today and remember that you can have healing in what he's accomplished for you. So if there's any area of your life that needs healing, just a moment, as you take it and as you eat it, remind every bite you take that Jesus purchased your healing and receive it and rehearse it and swallow it as an example for what he did for you. And you're going to take this in a worthy manner, connecting, taking this, not just to feed you, to remember what's available to you in our lives. So, Lord, we thank you today for this is your body. This represents your body that was whipped and broken for us. And so, Lord, 
We don't want to come to this table in an unworthy manner, not rehearsing actually what you did for us. We want to come here rehearsing it, remembering it. And so, Lord, today we take and eat of your promises of healing over our bodies, our minds, our deliverance. In Jesus' name, let's take, friends. Thank you, Jesus. We receive it today. And then, Lord, we take this cup that represents your blood that was shed for us. That you would cleanse us, that you have cleansed us of all sin. And so we rehearse and put on the helmet of salvation through the drinking of this cup. That as we drink it, we celebrate that our identity has been changed. We aren't the sum of our mistakes and our sin. We are the sum of your sacrifice for us. We are righteous, we are holy, and may we live our lives from that identity. In Jesus' name, let's take of the cup. Lord, today I thank you for your, for your promises. And Lord, I pray that you would bless your people you would strengthen them. And may we gird up the armor that was given to us. May we engage and not retreat. Lord, may you use our church to occupy. May you use our church, the, the believers of this house, to have an understanding we are not hopeless, we are not victims. We carry the answer to the broken world. And so God, forgive us. If there's any area of our life that we've become lazy and we've forgotten, remove the blinders off of our eyes. And may, leave here, may we leave here today fully engaged, moving forward with feet that are shod with the gospel of peace. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, friends. Have a great day. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you. You can come down to the front. God bless. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, visit faith.church. That's faith.church.